All right, thank you. Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Luke and chapter number 12. Luke chapter 12. I'd like to study with you there tonight. And um, the next uh, few Sunday nights, we will have some some missionaries and some mission reports. And so I'm not sure how this will study it will will continue other than that we will continue it, um, Lord willing. I don't want to be presumptuous about time and life, but our goal is to do that. And I'm going to um, begin to methodically do an in-depth study, a biblical study on a subject that is very sobering. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not an easy subject uh, to teach and to preach on because people have so many misconceptions about it and their own philosophy and ideas. But, but most of the time we're right about it as far as Bible believers are concerned. In Luke chapter 12, I'm going to begin a, a Bible study on Sunday night on the subject of the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Now, when I say the wrath of God, uh, most of the time people focus on the word hell. And when you say the word hell, normally that is people associating everything that the wrath of God accumulates or goes and that's the final end. But there is so much uh, about the wrath of God that uh, hell is uh, really a part of the wrath of God. And so I want us to look in Luke chapter 12. And I hope that you'll attend faithfully, and you have, and you always have, and I appreciate that. But I do want you, we're going to try to cover some some philosophies and ideas that are unscriptural that you may deal with for some of your family, like the subject of annihilation. I mean, you think about that, that Jehovah's Witness teach that, that when you die and you're cast into the grave, eventually you just you just disappear, no longer exist. Another, other groups do as well. You know, that would... Um, you know, I wished it was that way, but it's not that way according to the Word of God. And so we have to look at the things biblically as we can. Now, here's where here's where you get down to, you act, do you actually believe that God has given you a Bible that's without error? Because most people, when they start dealing with a subject that uh, sometimes becomes controversial, they always take a, a stand and begin to change or say, well, this is what it says, but it didn't mean it over here, or this is a right interpretation, or this is what the original is intended for it to say. And so you wind up altering the Word of God to fit your philosophy on the wrath of God because you feel uncomfortable about the subject of the wrath of God. But you have to take, you have to take the Scriptures and look at them in their context, okay? Because sometimes you are going to find the word hell in the Old Testament that indicates that it may be speaking of the grave, but there are other places in the Old Testament that is definitely referring to a place where people go to be punished and to be held. And sometimes it appears to be where the abode of the dead are and will be held in reserve. Does the word reserved show up several times in the Word of God for people? Yes, it does. It appears that hell is not the permanent place where you're going to go if you die without Christ. It is a place that you'll be reserved or held over in until you stand before God on the day of judgment of which you will then be judged and cast into the lake of fire where it says that even death and hell will be given up uh, then. 
So there's a lot of things here that you have to contemplate. But first of all, I want you to look with me in Luke chapter number 12. Folks today, they just, man, they just laugh about hell today. And they use it really as a curse word. And they use it, you know, to tell people where to go when they're mad at somebody and things like that. And they really don't comprehend what they're talking about. And I didn't either. Man, it was said all the time when I was on the farm growing up and I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I uh, just knew it was a word that guys like to use. But look in Luke 12. I want you to notice something about the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice something about the Lord Jesus here. He says, and I say unto you, my friends, I say unto you, my friends. Now, if you're a friend, you're going to tell people some inside information. You reveal secrets to friends. What Abraham was to God. God gave him some inside information on some things. He said, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. When we talk about the wrath of God, did you know Romans 11 verse number 22 says that there is the goodness of God and there is the severity of God. Many folks today have the God that they imagine Him to be. But God is not the God that you imagine Him to be. He is the God whom the Bible declares to be. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. And here in the Scriptures you find that Jesus tells us that there is such a place as hell. Now, I want to go into that verse here in just a moment to give you some real facts out of that passage that will help you. We talk about the Lord now. We talk about, uh, let, me, let me try to use him, let me use this illustration without being irreverent at, at all. I, I just try to help you to understand this. Let's say, for example, that you were going to go into, let's compare the Lord to a beautiful house that will be for your possible inheritance. As a gift. But you have to receive this, all of it, as it is. You can't take anything inside of it out. You have to take the whole thing or not at all. Let's say you walk into that house and each room is labeled. You find this room, it has grace over that. And we love to sing about the amazing grace of God. And we thank Him for His grace, His goodness. His love, God is love. His kindness, His compassion, His long-suffering, His patience, His holiness, His righteousness. All of these things, we look in this room and we say, man, this is absolutely fantastic. I want this house. And then your guide takes you further and says, I need to show you the rest of the rooms. He says over here now, we have wrath and we have righteous indignation. And we have consuming fire. 
And we have anger and justice and we have damnation. We have everlasting punishment. We have chains of darkness. We have a bottomless pit. All of that is inside the same house because all of that is connected to the same God. Do you understand? You can't just pick and choose what you like and don't like about the Lord. He's not like that. He is... He is just and He is righteous in everything that He does. And what He doesn't do is He doesn't give in to human emotion. He doesn't do that. And His ways are far higher than ours and and far uh, further than we can ever imagine to try to understand everything about Him. But I do trust Him. And I believe in Him. I believe the entire package. I do. I believe in the goodness of God and the severity of God. You know, when you talk about the wrath of God, too, you know, you'll find it mentioned several times in the Scriptures. But think about this. Think about the fact that there is a universal wrath. Romans chapter 1 says that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven. And he's talking about creation. He's talking about we are living in a, are we not living in a fallen world? Are we not living in a sin-cursed world? Are we not living in a place of where that there is much violence. And it's almost, in the animal kingdom, it's very violent. Very violent. I told one of our men today, I said, or maybe this week, and we were talking, maybe it was Brother Zach and I were talking, I can't remember, I've had so many conversations. I just wouldn't want to be a shad in the water. I wouldn't want to be a minnow in the water. Because everything in the water eats something else. And... You, if you're a shad, you don't have much defense. I mean, you go out there on the move all the time because you're not eating much, but everything is eating you. But it's a violent world. Now, Hollywood will, now they're putting out movies where that they'll say, you know, this is rated PG-13 or rated R because animals are, are being shown as being slain or their lives being taken. Have they ever seen what a bear will do to another animal? Have they ever seen what real dogs will do when they get hungry? I saw a woman on the news where she has been, her arms, she may lose her arms, she may lose her life of where a few dogs attacked her just recently. That little dog you got that you call part of your family, you let that dog get hungry enough and see what it will do to you. Amen? And by the way, you watch what humans will do when they get hungry enough. This is a very violent world. I was disappointed the other day when I heard about this sheriff here local, locally who was off duty with his wife shopping and he came out and there were a couple of two or three guys, three guys trying to steal his Catholic converter and he pulled his gun and they pulled their guns and he wound up being killed and he shot a couple of them but all over a Catholic converter. Do you understand that we live in, you know this, I don't have to convince you of this, we live in a fallen, violent world and, and listen, my hair is turning loose and turning gray. My teeth are going bad. My my knee and my foot hurts and my bones pop like, you know, the cereal snap, crackle, and pop when you get up in the morning. Without the milk, I can do it. It is because of the wrath of God. And everybody is under it. It is a universal understanding that we are underneath the wrath of God. And listen, we all are underneath this. When you ask ultimately why this person dies, it is because of the curse. It is because of the wrath of God. Why are people so depraved? 
It is because of the, and, and why do we have to struggle just to make a living? And why is it that we have such issues in this world? Why is it such a violent world? It is because it is a fallen and a sin-cursed world. But there's also what I call national wrath. Do you remember in the book of uh, Exodus when God decided to judge the Egyptians? That was very severe. He ruined them economically. He ruined them socially. He ruined them militarily. And then at the very last straw there, he took their firstborn child. The Lord did that. The judgment of God came through that night and the Lord took the firstborn of every family. A lot of New Testament people do not want to think that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. You've got to take the whole house or you don't take it at all. God judged this whole world. Well, we're going to come back to this. Turn with me to 2 Peter real quick. Let me show you something in 2 Peter. You talk about the severity of God. Now listen, the severity of God doesn't show up as often as the goodness of God. I promise you that. You better, we better be glad of that. But I want to show you something over in 2 Peter chapter number 2. I think about when God sent the nation of Israel into the land of Canaan and they destroyed those nations. Now listen, you've got to believe your whole Bible. He told them in some of those places that he took, he said, don't even leave anything in it with the breath of life. Nothing. Wipe it all out. That's pretty severe, wouldn't you think? If the American army would go into the nation of Iran and they were to wipe everything that has a breath of life in it, the United States would probably be hated around the world. Is that correct? With the world, that we, the way they think things are now. But that's what God told Israel to do to five or six nations in the land of Canaan. He said, I want you to wipe them out. I have reasons for that. I think I could give you biblically why he did that. But it wouldn't satisfy somebody who does not trust in the, in the Lord. But I think I can give you some biblical reasons for it. But God judged those nations. And he told Israel, if you turn your back on me like they did, if you do some of the things that they did, he said the same thing is going to happen to you. The Jew is, uh, has been under the wrath of God for a while. As far as not the great wrath of God, but as far as him scattering them throughout the earth. And what we saw with Hitler with the severity of God upon that nation. But there were times when they turned their back on God that they would be captured and they'd be held up and they got to the point of where that they would even eat and boil their own children because God was angry with them. Then there's individual wrath. You and I will stand before the Lord, but the Bible says according to Ephesians chapter number 2, these precious children, they got up here and read these verses to you. When they reached the age of accountability, the Bible says when they were born, they were born children of wrath. By nature, the children of wrath. By nature, the children of wrath. Look in Second Peter chapter number 2 with me, please. Let me show you something right there. Look at what the Lord says here in verse number 4. You want to see the seriousness and the, uh, what can I say, the severity of God? Somewhere a long time ago in eons of time, 
there were some creatures, some kind of angelic creatures that rebelled against God. And the Bible says in verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved. You see that word? Reserved. Have they received their final punishment? No. They are held in chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment day. I believe that there are departments or compartments of hell, it appears, in the Scriptures. I don't know all of that. I've not seen down there. I don't want to see down there. But I do try to understand what the Scriptures have to say. Do you understand what you just read here? This happened eons of time ago. And then verse 5, it talks about how God judged the whole world under, under Noah. And then in verse 6, he says, He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, making them an ensample. And people are still talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I like, I like the, uh, the things that some people post sometimes on social media when it says that if the schools do desire to teach uh, this uh, LGBTQTXYZ stuff, then start with Sodom and Gomorrah. Show them what God thinks about it. I don't think they will. But you see here very clearly that they're, that, that, listen, but you're looking at eons of time between these things because God is very long-suffering and He is very patient and He's very kind and He's very good and He gives people opportunities. And then eventually the Lord says, okay, that's it. That's it. I've had enough. I've had enough of this. And so this gives you an example of, of the fact that there is, what can I say, a, a place in hell where there are some, there are creatures there already held in change of darkness reserved unto the day of judgment according to the scriptures. Let's go back now to Luke chapter 12. Uh, I want to mention a few things and then we'll, we'll pray and go to the, to the house. Okay. But look, go back over there with me to Luke chapter number 12 and I think the reality of hell has been mocked and ridiculed. I think you know that. People would be offended if they were allow you or I to go into a public school and teach a class and we taught on the wrath of God and we taught on a literal burning hell. We would be escorted out. We would. Because, quote, we're, putting, we're, we're, we're causing the ch- children to be afraid. The children need to be afraid. Their mother and dad need to be afraid. Their teachers need to be afraid. Their ministers need to be afraid. There is a God to be feared. Jesus said this. He said, don't fear that guy who can just kill your body. He said, you kill, you fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He said, that's the one that you are to fear. All right. And so look in Luke 12 with me again, if you would. Let's consider some facts here. I, uh, Talk about mockers. I came across this story of a young man, excuse me, of an older man who was 70 years of age. And he gave his argument against the Bible and proclaimed, he said, I'm 70 years old and I've never seen such a place as hell after all that's been said about it by all these churches. It just so happened that his seven-year-old grandson was there when he was saying these things. 
Now, you know how seven-year-olds can be. They just speak without guile. They'll just say what's on their mind. And so he kind of tugged on his grandpa's jacket, and he said, Grandpa, I have a sincere, I have a question for it. And he said it sincerely, according to the witnesses, and said, Granddaddy, have you ever been dead yet? Have you ever been dead yet? What a question by a seven-year-old to a 70-year-old man. There's a British philosopher by the name of Bertrand Russell, and this is where I want to show you about what Jesus said. He said this, a philosopher and author, Bertrand Russell. He said, there is one very serious defect to my mind in Christ's moral character. Now, number one, that's a blasphemous statement. He said, and that is that he believed in hell. He said, I do not myself feel that any person who is profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. And there are folks like that around you and around me who feel the same way about God because they have their own God in their mind. And preachers today rarely mention hell and the judgment of God and the wrath of God that's coming They rarely say anything about those things anymore. And I promise you, man, God has been patient and long-suffering with this world, and things are changing rapidly around the world and falling into place for what the wrath of God like we've never seen before on this planet. I don't want to be here. I plan on being gone in what is referred to in the Bible as the rapture because we have not been appointed unto wrath. That's what it says. But I want you to look in Luke 12. I know I've told you that several times, but look with me there. And look in verse number 4 and 5 again. Let's consider the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the, 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 the power and the principles that He taught. He said in verse 4, I say unto you. Now listen, if Jesus says it, that's enough for me. Amen? And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that have no more they can do, but I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Number one, these verses indicate that man is far more than an animal. That there is something that exists beyond the grave, and it does not so for an animal. When God created man, God breathed into Adam. And he became what? A living soul made in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus is saying that to the human, there is something beyond the grave. And also in this passage, he teaches us that man cannot reach beyond the grave to impact someone who is already dead. Do you understand that? You say, what about sorcerers and necromancers and things of that nature, are they real? Well, my, my, my philosophy about that is, or my teaching about that is, according to the Old Testament, it was capital punishment for you to be involved in necromancing and in sorcery and things of this nature. The real stuff. So my, my thought about that is, is why would God make something a capital punishment if it wasn't possible? 
And he said, suffer not a witch to live. America and movies are fascinated with what is beyond the grave and what they perceive to be in hell. This passage also teaches, number one, or should I say number three, and that is that Satan is not in hell today. Satan does not place anybody in hell. Satan and demons do not torture people in hell. They do not have the power nor the authority to do so. And the reason for that is is because hell was created for them. Hell was created for them. Hollywood makes it look and kids see this and they think this way and they... When they think about the devil, they think about somebody that is ruling over the realm of the damned and trying to pull people down and then torment them. And, and, and that then the devil sends demons out under, from underneath into the world to do certain things. All of that is the imagination of man, not biblical or scriptural teaching or thinking. Are there creatures below that one day that will be released upon this planet? According to the book of Revelation, yes. There are, there are some that are in the Euphrates River that's been tra- chained somewhere underneath that that will be released in the tribulation period. And those chains of darkness, those demons, those creatures. And the Bible does say that, that the adversary himself one day will be cast and placed into the bottomless pit for how long? A thousand years. And then he'll be released. And I don't know why the Lord's releasing him after a thousand years other than the fact that he's going to prove that the devil hadn't always been our problem. It's been us. Our hearts. A lot of things get blamed on the devil. And a lot of it is his fault. But you and I are responsible for our own choices and our own decisions. But Jesus made it very clear that... uh, Man cannot reach beyond the grave. And listen, if somebody dies that you know and they're a loved one, you're not going to get them out of wherever they are. If they are in hell, uh, you're not going to get them out. I'm telling you, man, the Roman Catholic Church is making millions and millions of dollars a year based upon the philosophy that you will be able to get a loved one out of purgatory, a place where they are being purged of their sins, that they might be worthy to be able to go to heaven. And there are people, when you walk into a Catholic church anywhere around the world, when you walk in those doors, there's going to be little old, little old things about this big around, and they're going to be candles in them, they're going to be lit, and they're going to represent a soul, and there'll be an offering box, or either you talk to the priest, you can pay more money to get more masses said for your loved ones to get them out of hell or out of purgatory quicker. And all of that is just blasphemous to the truth about God. But the Bible does say here that Jesus said that hell is real and that it's more than a grave. You know why? Because he said, don't worry about them that can kill the body. Listen, man can put me in the grave. A man can take my life and put my body in the grave. He said, don't worry about him. He said, you worry about the man or the one, not the man, but the one who can take your life and your soul and your soul, and put them in hell, the Scripture says. Turn with me to um, 
Matthew 25 real quick, all right? Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Again, I mentioned to you earlier about what Jesus said about the the purpose of it. Matthew 25 and verse number 41. When did God create hell? When did God make it? I don't know that. I can only tell you why He did it. Matthew 25 and verse number 41, He says, Then shall He say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from Me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It's an interesting thing. When Jesus begins His ministry filled with the Holy Ghost and He goes into that temple and begins to teach with authority and there's somebody there that's been attending that temple for a number of years but when Jesus shows up full of the Holy Ghost, that demon spirit, that devil is troubled by that, by that man of God, by that God man. And he, those demons speak up and they said, We know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And they asked, I said, you know, have you been sent to torment us before our time? Those creatures understood that God is an orderly God and He sets things in order and they understood that they had some, still had some time left, but they knew who He was because they had seen Him before. And there is another world that you and I cannot see into. And that's why the Lord forbid the necromancers. And you understand what I mean by necromancer? How many of you know what that is? Yeah, most of you do. That's somebody that communicates with the dead and tries to communicate with the dead. And I said that they couldn't impact them. I didn't say that they could not get in contact with them. I said they couldn't change their location. They couldn't change their condition. And according to 1 Samuel, uh, there was a place there where, we'll talk about that, where Samuel was... uh, was there in peace and he was resting. And when Saul wanted to, went to the witch of Endor and he begged her to, to communicate with the dead, he believed that she could and she was in hiding because she knew that if it, found, that if it was found out she really was doing these things, that she'd be put to death. But the king needed to hear from Samuel. God wouldn't speak to him. He said, I need to talk to Samuel. And if he had not believed that you could communicate with the dead, he wouldn't have went to that witch. And if that witch hadn't have done what she'd done, and listen, I think that what happened there in that circumstance and situation was a weird thing. I think that it overtook what she was doing. I think the Lord took over in that situation and allowed Samuel to speak to Saul even from the grave and said, sir, you're going to be with us in a few days where we are. But you know what Samuel said to him? He said, why hast thou disquieted me? Why hast thou disquieted me? Why have you troubled me? Here I am in a place of peace and rest. Why are you bothering me? He said, you're going to be with us soon. And sure enough, he was. And so that's why sometimes you you get the, the people who lose a loved one. And I mean, sometimes you love somebody so much, it just totally devastates your life. And you are then very susceptible to anybody that can come along and tell you that they can help you to communicate with them in some way. And brother, they make millions and billions of dollars off of that in America today. Sorcery. But here in this passage, you'll notice it says in verse number 41... 
He said, depart from me, you cursed, in everlasting fire. How long is everlasting life? Is that a long time? Is it everlasting? Okay. What about everlasting fire? If, if, if things are being destroyed immediately, and, and, and I'm talking about completely annihilated, why would you need everlasting fire? Wouldn't you just need one big bonfire to get rid of everything and then put it out? But there's everlasting fire. And when you hear that word destroy, it doesn't mean to annihilate. It means basically that it no longer exists for the purpose in which it was designed. Like if you wreck a car and you say, he destroyed that car. He did not make that car cease to exist. But it no longer is any good for what it was designed to be and what it was meant for. So when you talk about these things, I, I do want to want to look in Luke chapter 16. I can't teach tonight on hell without going to Luke 16. The argument here, again, especially with liberals, is that this is not literal, but rather that this is a parable. In Luke 16, I do need you to try to understand that when Jesus would teach a parable, normally he would say so. And usually if he did, he did not mention anybody's particular name. He was always just in generalities. But in Luke 16, he says in verse 19, there was a certain rich man. Okay, and in verse number 20, it says there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. All right, and according to the scriptures, in verse 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. So the scriptures are telling us here that when, in, and this, again, this is considered to be pre-cross, pre-resurrection. And paradise, I believe, was in the heart of the earth at that time. I think that's why Samuel was there. Because Jesus had not yet come and he had not yet paid the price had not yet set captivity free. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I think also synonymous with paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. And the Bible says, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Would you agree with me that the rich man is not in heaven? He's not above. He's below. But who else is below? Abraham and Lazarus. Because there has been no resurrection yet. And the scripture says here in verse 24, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this what? In the flame. Is he conscious? He is conscious. Is he able to carry on a conversation? Is he able to recognize people? Verse 25 says, And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And the biggest difference between hell and heaven is one's comfort, 
and one is torment. You can't get away from that. And verse 26 says, And beside all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. He said, I'm sorry. As a tree falls, it will lie. It's over for you, son. There's, there's no fixing this. Do you understand the seriousness of the lies of purgatory? There is no fixing this. In verse 27, he says, And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send, me to, send him to my father's house. What also does he possess? A what? A memory? A conscience? He said, I have five brethren. I think the man died. Did not expect to. I think he died and went to hell and did not expect to. I think he, I think that uh, he died and went to hell and his brothers didn't think that he went to hell. He says, would you please send somebody and tell them. And testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So whatever hell is, it is a place of torment. But I will say to you that it is not the final abode of the dead that are separated from God. And I think that time doesn't matter to them like it does to us here on planet earth. And I think that God will raise them. Remember there are two, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that there is a first resurrection. Blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection. And then later there's another resurrection. Look with me quickly in John chapter 5 and I'll prove this to you. Look in John chapter number 5. Some folks believe in a general resurrection that everybody will be raised at the same time. But it appears in the book of Revelation that those who are in the first resurrection, the second death, has no power over them. But for those in the second resurrection, they will face the great white throne of judgment, and be judged according to their works and will be tormented accordingly. John chapter 5. Look what Jesus said here. He said in verse number 24. I love this verse. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. I'm interested in that. And shall not come into condemnation. I'm interested in that. But is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment. Also because he's the Son of Man. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of what? Of damnation. Look over in John 3, and I'm done for tonight. I pray the Lord will sober your mind and your thought about some of the things that we've discussed tonight. I know it's not a pleasant subject, but it's a needed subject. In John chapter number 3, I wish that you could, that God would touch our hearts where that we would 
I read a story of where that this church was looking for a pastor. And this young man came by and he preached on hell. <coughs> they said he did a fine job as far as being scripturally correct and biblically correct. And the next Sunday they had another guy come by and he preached also on the same subject and did a good job. And But they selected the second guy. And so some of the men in the church said, why did you choose the second guy and not the first guy when they preached on the same subject? And they said, well, the second guy did preach on the same subject, but he preached on hell with a tear in his eye. And the other guy preached as if he was glad that they were in hell. You and I need to have a tender heart about the judgment of God. For you and I are only saved by the grace of God. It wasn't for God working in our hearts and our lives. We would be on our way to hell tonight. Look at John chapter 3. I had no idea that I was underneath the wrath of God until I got in church and heard the word of God. I had no idea. No idea that I was in such great danger. Look at John 3. Look in verse number 36. It says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, it says, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Hell is a place to be acknowledged because Jesus said so. It's a place to be avoided because Jesus said so. You need to fear God more than you fear man. You say, everybody does. No, that's not true. The number one in the lake of fire is the fearful. The fearful. This came from the Cleghorns in Indonesia. This was a person that they were trying to win to Christ. And here's what that person said. I quote them. I am, this is a woman, I am an Indonesian, a Sunda Muslim. If I trust Christ, I am no longer a Sunda. If I am not a Sunda, I am nothing. I have no home, no family, no house, no relationship. I know that I am a sinner, and I don't want to be punished for my sins. I know Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. But I would rather risk suffering eternally in the lake of fire than to lose my social identity in this life. And according to the Scriptures, people who are walking around unsaved actually have the wrath of God really just hovering over them. And they are but but just a step away, a breath away from eternity. Whether it be my son, your son, my dad, your dad, my daughter, your daughter, it matters not. Ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level when it comes to who has been cursed by sin. We have been separated from God. But I will say this in closing, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son and He realized that Jesus Christ took the wrath of God upon Himself on that tree that you might escape the wrath of God if you would repent toward Him and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you might escape the wrath of God. Back in the day of Noah, when they were building that thing and they got it almost done, don't you know some folks said, hey man, 
What are you doing? You're an idiot. You're a fool. And they mocked him. And Enoch preached to that generation. And he said, listen, the judgment of God's coming. And he's going to come again later. And those people mocked that man of God. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. They could have gotten on that ark and been saved from the wrath of God. When they got on that ark, when Noah and his family got on the ark, the Bible says that God sealed them in. And the wrath of God came upon the earth. And they were saved because they did what God said. If you're here tonight and you have never been born again, if you're watching and you've never been born again, you're underneath the wrath of God. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. You're on your way there now. And the judgment of God is coming. What you want to do is you want to get inside the ark of Jesus. You want to get inside the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ that He died on the cross to bear your sins upon Himself. And God looked upon Him and said that I'm satisfied. There's nothing you can do to satisfy God except come to Christ. Those that have done good here in John 5, those are those who, not in their works, but in Christ. You want to do good? Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Brother Roger, I'm not sure about that. I think you can do some good and, and, and go to heaven. Well, you're a fool if you think that. Because your, your, your good's not going to outweigh your evil. And the Bible says, you know, it's like, you know, it's like if you crack a mirror. The whole mirror is ruined. You break one law, you're guilty according to the Scriptures. And I was trying to think of a verse of Scripture. Here it is. Because they asked Jesus about works. They said unto Him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What can we do that is good enough? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He hath sent. That is what pleases God. Amen? Have you believed on Him? Have you trusted Him? My heart was troubled as a teenage boy when I lay down at night. And I'd heard and knew that there was a God There was no peace in my heart. Man, I thank God a thousand million times for getting me underneath the sound of the gospel. I did what I knew to do, but it wasn't good enough. Man, I I put this Bible under my pillow. I'm talking about a 17-year-old boy who had his own car and had making a little money and working a job and going to school and making good grades. And and, uh, I'm just saying I had it. I, I wasn't some mental case that had some kind of issues. I was just a normal teenage boy, but I'm telling you, man, I'd lay down at night and there'd be a fear, there'd be something that just not knowing the future, not knowing what would happen to me if I died, troubled me, troubled me. I put this under my pillow at night, not this book, but one like it, to try to find some peace and couldn't find it. So I opened it up and I memorized five Psalms and I'd read them to God and I'd quote them to God at night and uh, no peace. By the grace of God and the mercy of God, my friend in high school invited me to a revival meeting at East Amory Baptist Church. Bill Rice III preached on hell that night. And I did not get saved, but I got in church and I heard my pastor preach over and over and loved me. 
And that word, man, it began to shed light on my soul and I began to realize what great danger, what a sinner I was and what a great Savior that Jesus was if I would come to Him. And I remember going to my pastor's office as a 17-year-old boy ready to graduate from high school and I got on my knees and I asked the Lord to save me. And when I did that, the peace of God came into my heart. And man, the fear went away and has been gone for 45 years. And I'm just saying that God will work in your life if you'll let Him. And He'll put some roadblocks up in your life to keep you out of hell. Just like the devil puts up roadblocks to keep you out of heaven. God will put up some roadblocks to keep you out of hell. Don't run through them. Run to Him for your salvation. Let's stand together, please. Father in heaven, I pray that the Word of God would find root somewhere in somebody's heart, germinate, and Lord, bring them to a new birth. To those that are born again, Lord, may they listen. And thank you tonight when they bow their knee and say, Lord, thank you so much for saving me from your wrath, which is just and righteous. And Lord, I pray that you'd encourage them and strengthen them and help them to see people as souls that need to know the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.